when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to another week of Cork Today, hoping we find you all in good form and that you had a lovely weekend. Uh, John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Texting available at 86 2103103, same number for our WhatsApp uh, service and texts already coming in, including one from Anne that says, Hi Patricia, when will patients know if outpatients clinics are cancelled at Bantry General Hospital for tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday and uh, Thursday? And there are a number of people that have appointments for this week just holding their breath, hoping that the nurses strike. There is a three-day walkout by nurses due to start uh, tomorrow. And as right, it happens uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And that will mean, if that goes ahead, that will mean all outpatient appointments will be cancelled and it will also mean elective procedures will be cancelled. The last number of, uh, we've had three strike days now, haven't we? And on each day, they reckoned about 2,000 procedures had to be cancelled and an outpatient uh, appointment uh, varied from between 25 and 28,000 each of the days uh, were cancelled and we also know that the first week of the strike which was the week before last when there was a one day strike held by the INMO on that day outpatients were cancelled it was on the Wednesday of that week and we do know because we heard from some people whose appointments got rescheduled for this week for Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday of this week. And I remember at the time thinking, oh no, there are strike dates that were already pending. So it'll be really, really unfortunate for people who two weeks ago got an outpatient appointment cancelled, particularly people who've been waiting many, many months for that appointment. And we're all focused on this day of getting into the hospital and getting sorted out. And then they got cancelled and then they got a new date for this week. And if they are going to be cancelled uh, again, it's just, it's getting to the stage now where lives could be threatened. I mean, I'm I'm really thinking of cancer patients because initially we were to- told the cancer patients would not suffer under this strike and would not have appointments cancelled. And of course, we discovered last week there were a number of people who had uh, who have cancer and who would do either an appointment with a consultant or would do a procedure that was cancelled. And we know for cancer, you need to the diagnosis needs to be as early as possible and the treatment needs to be as early as possible for the for the prog- for the prognosis to be positive and you were getting to the stage now where will there be a cancer patient whose treatment was delayed because of 
the nurses strike and will they not survive because of that? And I think that's the one thing that's going to turn the tide of support that nurses currently have, the public support. And I think they're very much buoyed up by the public support that they have. But the longer this these strike actions goes on, the more people are affected. And God forbid if somebody dies because of it, I think public opinion and support will turn very, very quickly. And if the three-day strike action goes ahead back to back, it's really going to have a huge, huge effect. Anyway, back to Anne and other people that are listening that have an appointment at a hospital tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday of this week. All we know at this stage is that the Labour Relations Commission, they were locked into talks with the INMO and the HSE over the weekend. I think they went on till about three o'clock this morning. So the Labour Relations Commission, as we speak, are trying to decide whether it has any chance of resolving the dispute by making a formal intervention. We are expecting some news from the Labour Relations Commission today. I don't have a timeline on it. I know John Paul is keeping a very close eye on the news wires in case anything breaks while we're on air this morning. Now, what's, what's, under, what's believed will happen if the Labour Relations Commission believe that they can do something to help to resolve the dispute, then they will possibly ask the union to suspend the strike and then they'll get involved in trying to sort it out. So we're waiting to see Do the Labour Relations Commission reckon there's anything there on the table that they can work on? And then, obviously, if they go to the INMO and the INMO agree to go in and try to sort out the deadlock that seems to be there at the moment, then obviously the strikes will be suspended. As of now, that strike action is due to go ahead. But I suppose because... The HSE and the Department of Health are hoping that the Labour Relations Commission will be able to move in and do something. For that reason, I suppose they haven't they haven't come out yet and cancelled outpatients and cancelled uh, procedures. So all I can say to people is stay tuned to the radio and, and to the to the TV. They're obviously if they are going to make do cancellations on the level of twenty five thousand outpatients appointments and two thousand odd procedures. At this stage, they won't be physically able to contact all of those patients. So I'm assuming they will go through the media. They'll be issuing us with statements saying that all of the outpatients have been cancelled. So tune to local, to to media, keep in contact with the media is all I can say at the moment. And let me know, I don't know if already they've done some cancellations because certainly last week in advance of the strikes, the HSC and, and the hospitals were on to patients the day before. They were cancelling procedures for the day before strike action because they knew if a procedure went ahead, they might not have the nursing the following day, the nursing numbers that they would need. So I take it already there's been cancellations, certainly for procedures that were due to go ahead today. And maybe already people have started to hear about a cancellation of an appointment for tomorrow. If you have, uh, let us know. 1850 Also, Looking for your thoughts and comments, please, on what happened with the health minister, Simon Harris, yesterday about a protest outside his home that he described as very frightening for him and his family. The protest, it was a peace, described now as a peaceful protest, but it took place yesterday afternoon by a group calling themselves Fingal Battalion Direct Action group. Now it has sparked widespread condemnation from across all of the uh, political parties. Obviously there's a lot of spotlight on Minister Simon Harris at the moment. We have the nursing dispute, we have the over 
spend at the New Children's Hospital, the cervical check uh, scandal. So he's been coming under a lot of uh, pressure. Anyway, this group decided to protest outside his house yesterday. A statement posted online attributed to the protest group claimed it was against corruption, austerity and evictions. And it alleged that Minister Harris had neglected his uh, position. Now, Simon Harris said he didn't want to comment too much on, on the protest itself, except to say that it happened. He was at home with his wife, Quiva, bearing in mind that just three weeks ago, they welcomed their first child, a little baby girl by the name of Searsha. So they were at home with a three-week-old baby. Minister Harris said, obviously, my number one priority is the safety and well-being of my family. It's obviously was a very frightening experience for them, but he said, thankfully, everybody's okay. But uh, he said they're all a little bit shook. And then TDs from all political quarters rallied against the protesters and they condemned the actions as uh, totally unacceptable. And Simon Harris made it clear that the action at his home breached an important line in politicians and their families' privacy and security. He said protest and demonstrators have a legitimate role and a legitimate right in Irish society. But he says, I think most people would agree what happened inside my home today is unacceptable. So your thoughts on that? Was that a step too far on behalf of those uh, protesters? 1850 John Paul takes the calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Coming up on the programme uh, this morning, something I imagine will also be a, p- a peaceful protest is, is a protest that's happening later on today in the city. And it's to do with problems of illegal parking on cycle lanes. So we're going to speak with a cycling group from the city to see just how bad this problem of people parking on cycle lanes. I I mean, I'm not a cyclist, but it it always annoys me when I see cars parked on a a cycle lane. There is a cycle lane. It isn't a very long one, but there is a cycle lane on the lead up to Davis College in Mallow. It's a school that I have to pass every every morning and, and afternoon when I'm going home. And it's just completely ignored as a cycle lane. People just park their cars, their parents dropping their, their children off. And we're, we wonder why we talk about roads being unsafe for children and why there is less, there are less numbers of children cycling to school than say there were a couple of generations ago when you'd see a load of people cycling to school. You rarely see a child now cycle to school in the morning. But then a cycle lane gets put in place and I imagine that having it near the school it was put in place for the children to use going to school and yet parents decide to park there instead. It makes absolutely no sense uh, to me at all. What councillors would like to see happen with the old GAA grounds in Mallow? That's been lying idle now since the downturn in the economy what needs to be done uh, about it and after 11 a young Cork woman talks about what life is like living with a rare disease this is really giving us an insight into what life uh, is like for somebody who has a condition that most of us have never heard of before I tell you now, I can't even pronounce the condition that this young woman uh, has. So we'll talk about that and what life is like when you do live with a rare condition. It's tough enough to get diagnosed with a disease or any type of a condition. But when it's a very rare one, it kind of adds an extra layer, doesn't it, of trying to get people to understand what is even wrong with you. Concerns, we often discuss dumping on the programme. And only lately we were talking about the dump that's out in Ballyvalan, that illegal dump that's there. And of course, the question that 
constantly comes up when we talk about a site like that is who's doing all of this dumping? It can't be local people. They can't be generating that much rubbish. And of course then you'll hear people saying, oh well, it's the man with the van who's going around door to door offering to take people's rubbish away. People pay this person in good faith not realising that the man with the van is very possibly illegally dumping your rubbish. And of course there's a sting in that if your rubbish, if somebody from the environmental department of the council for example goes through that illegally dumped rubbish even though you've paid in good faith if your name and address is contained in that rubbish which more than likely if you've paid somebody to take your rubbish away more than likely there could be something in that bag of rubbish to identify you you know the environmental department could end up on your door saying why you know why are you dumping your rubbish so you've got to be very careful if somebody's calling around offering to take rubbish at a low price you have to question why and where is the rubbish uh, going? One of our listeners has spotted something that he or, or someone that he reckons is doing illegal dumping and we'll talk about that later on. It's Monday. So Annalise Drissel from the Health Hub Times Square in Ballangolic will answer your nutritional questions. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And as we await the Labour Court decision later this morning whether to commence a formal intervention in the nurses' dispute, uh, we have a number of listeners contacting us uh, now not knowing if their appointment is going to go ahead this week or not. Pat in from Oi said, I've already had two appointments cancelled due to the nurses' strikes to date. I was delighted to hear the nurses telling me they're striking from me says Pat rather sarcastically having had two appointments cancelled he says I think the nurses are losing the love on Valentine's uh, for from the public Uh, there will be a shift against uh, the nurses someone else says this has gone beyond a joke I've always had respect for the nurses but this is not fair on the people of this country particularly people who are unwell unwell. high wages should be stopped can you blame people for why they went to Minister Simon Harris's house to protest yesterday and that's topic is where we want to go next because John O'Donovan joins me from the city good morning to you John John, I'm very well. You're 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 a man who's known to have protested in the past, and no doubt will protest again in the future. Was it a step too far to protest outside Minister Simon Harris's house, bearing in mind that his young wife has only had a newborn baby three weeks ago? Well, you see, Patricia, you must ask yourself: How is it in the history of politics, like in instance, to the foundation of the state? Is it only now that this kind of protest is appearing? And you must ask yourself, why are individuals taking it upon themselves to actually go outside Simon Harris's house or any politician, whether you be councillor, TD, minister, whatever, right? Why are people actually doing that? They're doing it, Patricia, because they're completely exasperated. I heard John Halligan there this morning criticising it there, and he said that if people have a problem with a minister or a TD, they can they have resources. It's called the ballot box, right? Now, does that mean so, Patricia, that a government or a minister, right, or a local councillor, can basically do what they like, not serve the people that they've been elected to serve, right, and that you must wait five years and you can't sit in your hands for five years and you can do nothing. Well, I'm sorry, uh, that, that type of politics is over. They are, have to be held accountable now, and if it takes a protest outside the minister's house, Yeah, but John, you can protest and there's nothing wrong with protesting. And it was, by all accounts, a a peaceful uh, protest. But you can protest. You can go to his place of work today. You can protest outside the Dáil. I'm sure the man has a constituency office that you can protest outside. But I mean, a family's privacy. 
well, should be left see, alone. Well, the, the way I address that is, look, I, I, I put it out there to people before when we decided during the water protest that we would pick it up at council's office this year and, and, and some TDs in Cork, right? And uh, we, we went outside one or two of their homes. And I put it to the floor that night there, and we had a vote in it, and I won the vote in the night. And the vote, the motion was put down, Patricia, was that all those politicians who are taking on a daily basis, right, I mean, decisions that will affect your household, your household, my household, your mothers, your fathers, your brothers, your sisters, like us out here, right, in society, that they're taking decisions that are impinging. And we see the savage cuts were backed up there by the, the Labour Party and, and Fine Gael. The, the, during the austerity there. Savage cuts, Patricia, they were home helps and everything and all, right? And I mean, when you're making those type of cuts, like, I mean, surely that will impinge and that will seriously impinge on people's daily lives that are already overburdened and trying to do the best they can to keep a roof over their head and bring up their family. And you're then saying that these people that are making these savage cuts and savage decisions, right, and not doing their job, that they're off limits that they're actually higher on the pedestal than all the other families and no, I No, I'm not saying that. But what, what I am saying is his wife and newborn baby are off limits. They didn't make any of those decisions. They well, have well, a right well, to well, peace that, and privacy about, in their own home on a Sunday afternoon. She's, yeah, well, three well, weeks ago, she had her baby. I understand that. But what about all the other wives and children that are behind closed doors? that are struggling. What about people that are ringing up here who are constantly there that can't get the services that should be there at the drop of a hat for them, Patricia? What about Mrs. Murphy or Mrs. whoever? I mean, inside, in a corridor next to a toilet in this UH or any hospital in this country at the moment being openly examined by a doctor with no privacy and no dignity at this whole for life. And all of that is shocking, John, and nobody is taken away from that. But I mean, the, the argument would be as well that Simon Harris would say he is trying to do the best that he can. He can't micromanage what's happening uh, down in, in CUH. He's trying to do the best that he can. He mightn't be getting it OK, but if you have an issue with Simon Harris, target Simon Harris. Don't target his wife and newborn well, baby. Well, well, you see the problems, I said, the decisions that they're taking. And again, I'm not letting Michal Martin off the hook either. This whole idea and, uh, that uh, I heard Stephen Donnelly on yesterday there, and uh, I heard Billy Keller on saying that they're, uh, like Sinn Féin, as you know, putting down uh, a motion of no confidence. Like, And we all know, look, this circus that's happening at the moment, Dr. Patricia, that Fianna Fáil are going to have stain on that vote. That's exactly what's going to happen, right? But I mean, for the likes of Billy Keller saying, and Stephen Donnelly, that if Harris goes, that means there'll be a general election. That is not a fact. The teacher of this country can, if Michal Martin is doing his job, this confidence supply is a joke. If he goes to, 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 to the teacher of this country, the Varaka, and he says, look, this has gone on too long. Harris has to go. And I will threaten to pull the confidence supply if you don't get him to step down. That's all needs to be done. There's no way the country with the Brexit coming down the tracks that we need no need a general election at this stage. This man should be asked to step aside. And then that will solve the problem, will it? Well, I think it'll definitely take the heat off. And now, obviously, you're going to have to appoint a new minister. But, I mean, whatever you just said, Patricia, this guy knew about the overrun on the hospital and he didn't bring it to the Taoiseach of the country or the Cabinet in full. Yeah. And he is now going to stand up on the doll and issue an apology, right? Now, if you issue an apology, you know, at, at that level in politics, right, that means there's a serious wrong after being done. Simple as that. And look, as I said, 
Uh, I'm amazed, like, I mean, that's, I mean, during the abortion referendum that he wasn't targeted, like, because, he, as you mean, this is the guy for this year that was like a rock star with his sleeves rolled up in Dublin Castle, and he'd been cheered and lauded. I know at the moment he's not very popular, to see. So you think he, sh- he should be gone and, and that's it. Listen, on the nurses dispute, where, where are you standing on, on that? Are you four square with the nurses and their right to protest and their right to strike? Well, uh, of course, but uh, again, you must ask yourself, like, I mean, how is this ever allowed to happen, Patricia? And I tell you, God forbid, like, they're going out for three days this week. Well, how is I it mean, allowed to happen? The nurses agreed to the Lansdowne Road Agreement, uh, which brings their pay with increases in March and again next year up to the end of 2020, and they've changed their minds. Well, you see, the thing is, like, it's the conditions as well that they're working under. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, basically, I've been in the hospitals like you, and I mean, uh, just, I mean, I just don't know how they keep going. I'll be honest, as simple as that. But the thing is, like, I mean, that unless the conditions ch- change, nothing will change. And um, I, yeah, but I, extra, extra pay isn't going to change the conditions. Well, is well, it? well I'm worried about at this stage, you no, know, like, I mean, and God forbid, Patricia, like, they're going out for three days this week, yeah. and if some if somebody, uh, God forbid, dies, right? I mean, and this can be tracked right back to the dispute and the strike. I mean, who is the finger going to point at then? Yeah, yeah, and we're already starting to see people who are on on us who are due an appointment this week that was a rescheduled from the first week that was cancelled, and if that's yep. somebody waiting on a test. For cancer, are yeah. we know some cancer patients? But you, we, we've been told, Patricia, like I mean that I mean that these people would be prioritised and that uh, were maybe knocked off the list in the counter the strike. But no, we see that's not so. Again, more lies. Okay, all right. Okay, we leave it there, uh, John. Listen, thank you for that, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us, uh, Michael in Castletown Bear. Says Patricia, hi. Are we going to be like Northern Ireland without a government? If groups who are sowing the seeds of hatred and fueling serious disturbance in our peaceful country by attacking government ministers and their families regardless of what position they hold. Such low, downright acts of scurrilous, despicable behaviour cannot be allowed to happen in the name of democracy. Is this the Ireland we want to have for ourselves and for our children? Those who are the ringleaders in this new all-time law are trying to lead this country into chaos and turmoil like a handful of Brexiteers did across the Channel. They should be dealt with immediately. Ireland should give immediate protection to its ministers stand up to these mm, let me change the word low lives uh, who are who are threatening our democracy thank you and that's from Michael in uh, Castletown Bear and of course the protesters yesterday was a piece of pro- protest and they're not breaking any law I know the Gardaí uh, were called and I know they spoke to the members of the people protesting and they stationed themselves around the house they stayed um, for about a half an hour thereabouts and then the protesters um, eventually walked, you know, left. They had got their message across and that was it. Uh, they weren't breaking the law. You are allowed to protest like that. It's just, it's the whole thing of infringing on somebody's privacy. When somebody puts themselves forward uh, for public life, surely they are entitled to the peace and security and their family are entitled to peace and security within their own home was it a step too far yesterday? 1850 John Paul takes your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Laura Gelga, RC 103. Back you'll try rap, August two pack secure. Rugak two pack in Nua Arok Merk. Vibwint more, Egahismori, Savaktis, Mkerta Savilta, Dagwini Gurma, Iverka, August Ka Avahar, Trevsha, Ibrazunfu. August Eg Umper Tupac. Kuga Kura Kumura Evaim 
er Tupac agus hosig se e comacul in Nedog Octosat. He also Kuig album Kul agus e in a vahig. Forse boss er in true law deog de van for Nedog Nokse agus e Kuig Vlinas Vaha. Le brewer Guelga is Misha Abini Vinicon o Guelskol Hamasta Vishmala. Seekade as a three Kirkig. Just some reaction to the protest that happened outside Minister Harris's house and uh, John O'Donovan, who's well known for protesting, uh, joining us with his views. He felt could see nothing wrong with what the people did. Heidi said, look at France, uh, Patricia, and the way they protest. We all have a right to protest, particularly with all of the troubles that have gone on in this country. Nobody wants to shake the tree. But if we do nothing, then nothing will happen and we will have to put up with what is wrong with this uh, country. We'll have to put up with the people we voted uh, in. Uh, We vote them in and then they seem to forget about the voters. I always say, though, peaceful protests, uh, please. And absolutely, Heidi, I would be the first one saying have a peaceful protest, but I'm just thinking, are you overstepping the mark when you go outside somebody's private home? You know, people voted for Simon Harris to become a TD. Then he got selected to be the Minister for for Health. He's making the decision. It isn't his wife and newborn baby that are making the decisions that people wanted to protest about uh, yesterday. Patty Infermoy says, does John O'Donovan think I should protest outside a nurse's door because they're upsetting me this week with their strike action and my appointments being uh, cancelled? Ger says, hi Patricia, that protest yesterday was an absolute disgrace. Protesting against the politician absolutely but please not the family they are nothing but cowards says Jer and Morris says why doesn't John O'Donovan stand for the doll and become minister for everything he's a right know-it-all says Morris. Okay, just let me leave it there for a moment because I want to move on to a different topic because calls to install bollards and other barriers along some of Cork's busiest streets are to be considered by the council amid complaints that the local authority is not doing enough to prevent vehicles illegally parking on cycle lanes. To discuss the problem I'm joined by Justin Fleming of the Cork Cycling uh, Campaign. Good morning to you Justin. Good morning, Patricia, and thank you very much for having me on. Well, you're welcome to the programme. How bad is the problem of people parking in cycle lanes, Justin? It's not good, unfortunately. And if you don't mind, I'd like to say at the outset that this is something that concerns every road user. I, I'm conscious that there may be listeners who think, oh, I'm either a motorist or I'm a cyclist. But the way I see it is that we all use the road and there are different ways we can use it. And in particular, I'm looking to Parky Cueve, the event centre when it's built. And if there are any parents out there or grandparents or even people who are considering moving to Dublin or to Cork or anywhere for work, cycling is going to be a transport option that's going to be on their radar. And our mission really is to make it as safe as it can be so that the maximum possible number of people will want to use it and that they'll feel safe in using it. And if the cycle lanes are blocked up with cars parked illegally, the perception is this isn't a safe place to cycle, I wouldn't even consider it. Absolutely. And it it goes beyond that because symbolically it just goes to show you that we just don't take cycling seriously in Ireland quite yet to say that we're allowing this to happen. 
if we allowed it to happen, for example, on a motorway or on a dual carriageway, or if there was illegal parking in an ordinary car parking space, there'd be uproar, and rightly so. And do many motorists get parking fines for parking on cycle lanes, do you know? So an inquiry was made recently into what the breakdown was, and the findings were that, yes, there were some fines given out, and in fairness... There was some good action with the Gardaí recently outside the cinema near North Main Street in the city centre. But really, what what we spoke about in the beginning as regards bollards or curbing or parked cars even to protect the lanes, this is how it should be done. Because really, if something is to be of benefit, there shouldn't be a need to enforce it. It should be self-explanatory almost. And unfortunately, if you only have paint on the ground, that just doesn't work. because People seem to ignore it, yeah. And if you look at the city, Justin, how friendly or unfriendly is Cork City for cyclists overall? Overall, I must say that it's it's very good in some places because we've put the infrastructure in. And this is the key point. Once you put the infrastructure in and once it's very goodly, once it's very well designed, you end up with a very good cycling network and it doesn't cost very much money. It's very simple stuff, really. You just put space aside and you protect it. And I'd like to give you the example of the connection between UCC and the city centre because you probably know about the Coke Bike Scheme. I do. There have been a million journeys made in the last number of months and how in Cork City it's been very successful. Yeah. And I'm very sure the reason for that is because at the same time the bikes were put in, we also had these protected lanes so that it was safe for people to get from A to B. And what I've noticed is that it's not just the usual suspects who are using the lanes now. And this is the key point. We want to make it open for every single road user so that when you're coming in, you think, okay. Maybe I drove in and maybe I'm always a motorist. But I think maybe now cycling might be the best option. I might be able to beat the traffic jams. I might be able to have fun. And, and I, and I, th- I think with everybody, up. you know, looking at climate change and people are starting to move towards trying to become more environmentally friendly. People are aware that we need to get out of our cars. We need to walk more or we need to cycle more. So we need to make it as safe as possible because that's, that's what we encourage people to take up cycling. You're absolutely correct. And I have no doubt in my mind that people are already minded the right way. But the difficulty is it's very difficult to make the switch if, you're, if you don't have a safe space in which to do it. Really and truly, we should be trying to make cycling a safe and realistic option for every single person, whether they're eight years old or 80 years old. I mean, we're not in, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. This isn't rocket science. How do other cities cope with it, um, Justin? It's all about space and funding. So space is politically difficult at the moment. And the reason for that is because we haven't yet, as a whole community, made our voices known. And I hope that this is something that the listeners will take away from our conversation today is that this is not just a niche subject for fanatics, that actually it's a benefit to us all. 
And when there are events on in Parky Creeve or when the event centre is built, think of think of younger people or anyone moving to Dublin, if you're a parent or grandparent, and how they're going to travel around safely. We need to start thinking about this as something that concerns us all. Think of the health service, for example, overcrowding and overcapacity in the health service. It will benefit us all in that regard as well. And you mentioned the climate change issue part yeah. too. We need to make the alternatives easily accessible for people. And if I may, Patricia, funding is something that's so important as well. And we're neglecting our cycling infrastructure. Even though it costs just a tiny fraction of what it would cost to build roads or to maintain them, we're not putting the money in. Well, actually, on, on that on that subject, and seeing, seeing as you mentioned Porky Cueve, I remember reading something, and I'm sure it was from your uh, group, the Cork Cycling Campaign, uh, last year. Wasn't there a problem with Porky Cueve not providing enough cycle parking facilities that had been agreed to in their planning permission? Was it 100 yes. spaces? That's correct. The legal requirement that was set out in the planning permission for the stadium was that there would be at least 100 high-quality and sheltered bike parking spaces. And once again, just like parking in the lanes, it's symbolically significant, as well as being parking spaces for the 100 or so cyclists, because that hasn't been provided and nothing has been done about it. So it gives the signal that we don't care about this. This is something that we don't value, and it is just a niche for fanatics. But we have to start talking about it and bringing it up whenever politicians discuss the health service, we need to start asking them, well, what are you going to do to prevent people from getting sick? How are you going to help us to get healthy and to do the right thing? Okay, stay there because Catherine is on line six and she wants to come in on this conversation. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good Um, morning. Now, you you remember um, a course running in school school in the 70s. Tell us about it. Um, I went to school with um, the Mercy Sisters in Clonakilty and they ran, when we were national school, I think it was the fourth, fifth and sixth classes, but it was run, I, I presume it was government funded at the time, or yeah, it definitely was, because we got a certificate at the end of it where our playground was kind of made into roads. We were taught the rules of the road. A lot of us cycled to school, obviously, that time. We brought our bikes to school. We were shown how to fix punctures. We were shown how to look after our bicycles, look after the chains and stuff. And then we were taught the rules of the road. And then there was an examiner came out and we got a certificate at the end of it. How fabulous. It was obviously the Road Road Safety Authority or something ran it, It probably. It was fabulous. And and I remember um, Sister Veronica standing in the middle with her white jacket on her you know, doing the the rules of the road. I remember it was very exciting and it was it was great fun. I just think an awful lot of our politicians and stuff like that were lacking an awful lot of of um, common sense. Yeah, and you know, and I think, but but I bet you when you went out on the road cycling, then you remembered all the things you'd picked up and you cycled did. safe safely. Even yeah. now, at, at fifty four years, you know, I st- I was just thinking there the other day. I remember thinking, doing that course What's that? and. Um, I must, I must actually go home and root out. I'm sure. See, see, is your certificate uh, still there? And and then today, do you notice any children cycling to school in in the area? No, no, no I don't really. Yeah. know. But, All right. um, but like, I do see an awful lot of cyclists on the road. I do think, you know, we're talking about cars and you know learner drivers and stuff like that. I mean, some of the some of the young people that are going on the road today, regardless, they're causing an awful lot of. Um, you know, trouble on the road. And if, do they know the rules of the road when it regards bicycle? 
you know, I mean, they're, they're, they have to have rules as well. You know, we're, we're saying to the cars every day, give way to motorbikes and, you know, cyclists and stuff like that. But I, I wonder, do the cyclists, when they're going onto the road, do they know the rules of the road? Justin, do you know the rules of the road? I know the rules of the road very well. <laughs> and I think it's a shame that so many of the people I come into contact with on the road don't seem to know what the rules of the road they are. They don't, yeah. no. I mean, we were never told... Um, I remember one of them never cycled more than two abreast and that was where there was um, no white line on the road, you know, that you had a continuous white line. I remember never, ever, and I remember going to the airport and trying to make a flight and there was three across the road <laughs> going up between Bell and Aslick and the airport. I was nearly fit to, you know... Get out of the car. Yeah. You run faster than they were going and they were there across the road. And, you know, it, it, it's carelessness and I think something small like that. I mean, they're looking for different, um, even in the transition years, you know, that they could do some sort of things like this. That would that would make sense. Yeah, common That's sense. Common, common sense. sense. Go back to basics. Yeah. All right, Catherine, thank you for that. Okay. Listen, Justin, before we let you go, uh, there's a protest tonight outside City Hall, this evening outside City Hall. That's correct. So it's at five o'clock on the Anglesey Street entrance and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about it. Are I you? think there'll be quite a good turnout and okay. it's so important because that will show the politicians and it will show the country that this is something to take seriously now. We value this. This is a solution to health, climate, and it's an option to make the road safer for us all. Okay, okay. Keep the campaign going. Keep us all safe, Justin. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. That is Justin Fleming of the Cork Cycling uh, Campaign. In advance of that, there is Free the Cycle Lane Rally is going to take place at uh, City Hall. And actually, City Hall will be discussing and voting on a motion to improve the cycling infrastructure with bollards and curbing to physically stop people uh, from parking there. A couple of texts and comments in on cycling. John says, Patricia, in all fairness, we haven't got the weather for cycling. Cyclists use the road should cyclists using the road should have insurance. Most people on bikes think they own the road and think they're driving a car. Look at the amount of motorists who end up hitting a cyclist and then they end up paying huge insurance. It's always the motorist who is at fault. More laws and nobody to implement them, says uh, John. And Mary in Enniskeen says cycling groups that go out uh, in numbers of 10 to 12 They cause huge problems on the road. They will not pull in for traffic and then traffic can't pass them. I was going to Bandon on Saturday and there were 10 cars trying to pass a group of cyclists. Cyclists need to pull in when they're out and about at the weekend and they're obviously training for some event, are they? There are no manners on the road with some of these cyclists, yet we, the motorists, end up paying road tax tax while cyclists should pay something as well towards the road. The number of people that are saying that, uh, that they should be paying paying some sort of insurance or road tax. 1850 and our apologies. We're backed up on ad breaks a little bit late. Quick ad break and we go to the newsroom at 11. Ladies and gents, this is the moment we've waited for. To tell you how many people listen to C103 every day. Our numbers show we're the first thing you hear in the morning and last thing at night. And we appreciate it. According to the latest radio listenership figures, 257,000 adults now listen to C103 and Cork's 96 FM every week. Source Channel or Ipsos MRBI 2018-4. Cork's greatest shows are on your favourite station. And stay listening to win your share of €5,000 with C103 Cash Tracks. 
starts Monday on Cork's Greatest Hits, C103. Hashtag Choose Radio. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Can I just alert you to something that has popped up on our radar? That's happening in Roscommon. We also like to alert you with scams that are going on. This is happening in Roscommon. But what can often happen is what will start in one area of the country will quickly spread to other areas of the country when the word gets out that it's a scam and they're not making any money in a particular area then they'll go on and target a different area. But we're hearing this morning in the Roscommon area that they're calling their local radio station about it is people are getting a hoax call from somebody claiming to be from the Revenue Commissioners and Gardaí and Mayor are advising the general public that it is hoaxed call and they and they're they're getting reports from the Roscommon area. It's an 051 number, or it looks like it's an 051 number. And callers are advised that uh, they're trying to tell you that you've got a, a refund. You obviously uh, don't. Guy, they say revenue are not calling people for that purpose, and are advising people not to engage. So be careful. You get a phone call from somebody saying it's the revenue commissioners and guess what we've got a refund for you and should we all be delighted to get a bit of money back from the tax man it's not true unfortunately and you could end up getting scammed out of some of your hard earned cash we were talking about cyclists in the last hour cyclists are one of those things that's, that seem to split people as well you have people who are cyclists who say that motorists are very disrespectful on the road and on the other side of the coin you've got motorists who give out about cyclists saying they feel they own the road and it always seems to divide people. But thank you to Dahi in Kilmurray, who's contacted me, to say he is a member of Cycling Ireland, which are a national body, obviously, for all cyclists in this country. And Dahi said, we do pay money every year. We pay €50 a year to Cycling Ireland, and that's for insurance while cycling on the roads. So cyclists do pay a form of uh, insurance. Well, they do if they are members of Cycling Ireland. And also, Dahi said, listening to Catherine from Clonakilty, who was talking about remembering when she went to school, to primary school in the 70s and the course that she did, she, he said, I passed Kilmurray National School and they're bringing the young children out on their bicycles in that area, which was good to see. So obviously cycling courses some schools operate cycling courses and try to make children as safe as possible when they're out on the uh, roads. Patricia, I'd say cyclists don't see cars when they have their heads down. And there was one guy came out of a side road and hit my car at the back door. He literally did not see my car. So cyclists need to be careful. Be very careful when they're out on the roads as well. Okay, a number of other issues coming in on the nurses' dispute. We're getting a lot in on the nurses' dispute and on the protest that was held outside Simon Harris's. We're looking for your thoughts on that. How you feel about uh, what was it? It was a legitimate protest, but was it? unacceptable for the protest to be outside his private house. Frank in Charleville says, I haven't, this is back to the nurses, I haven't heard anyone complaining about the other unions. These are the unions that represent the other members of the civil service. The other unions are the ones to, the other unions have threatened to go on strike if the nurses get what they want. I believe the nurses are a deserving case and the other unions should understand that and let the nurses get their pay increases. So it's the other unions, according to Frank and Charleva, who are actually causing this strike. Well, the other unions have say they will go after a pay claim 
if the nurses get theirs, they're sort of sitting uh, sitting in the high grass waiting to see what the nurses uh, will do. So Frank says it's those unions we should be pointing the finger of blame at rather than people blaming the nurses. Point the finger of blame at the other unions. If the other unions came publicly out and came out publicly and said to the government the nurses are a special case pay them the money um, Frank feels that's what should happen and then the government would only be dealing because the government's big fear is if they pay the nurses it'll be 300 million a year which they'll have to borrow and it'll be 300 million every year it won't just be this year but their bigger fear is it's the other unions will say you've given it to the nurses you have to give it to us Dervla in Rathmore says this is talking about Simon Harris and the protest it was wrong yesterday said uh, Dervla to target his home but when his baby was born three weeks ago who delivered that baby wasn't he very thankful of midwives on that particular day says uh, Dervla on cycling George in ovens cyclists on our country roads are a danger especially for motorists on narrow roads driving around bends and then you come across a group of cyclists they can be extremely dangerous please to cyclists who are going out in groups you need to be aware of what's on the road. Robert in Carrigaline, the government signed a constitution in this country to protect all of the people. It doesn't appear to Robert in Carrigaline that they're protecting the workers. We bailed out property developers, bankers, etc. And we are now back in business again. Where is the fairness with our nurses? I feel every union involved in hospitals should come out in solidarity with the nurses. I would support, says Robert in Carrigaline, an all-out strike. So certainly there is there is there is a lot of support out there for the nurses and I think a lot of people would agree with Robert's view, you know, one hundred percent behind the nurses and you could see that at the weekend when they when they went out protesting in, in Dublin. I mean obviously a lot of nurses turned up but a lot of members of the public turned up as well. But I think when you're in the group of people who are unwell or you have a family member that's unwell and an appointment has been cancelled and a second appointment has been cancelled and somebody's procedure has been cancelled, a cancer procedure has been cancelled, you can understand why they don't have as much sympathy with the nurses as, say, somebody like Robert and Carrie Galine, 100% with the nurses. Actually, there was a really good WhatsApp in as well on this from uh, Jimmy. Good morning to you, Jimmy and Bantry. Jimmy says, Patricia, whilst I agree with the nurses striking, I don't think the health service should suffer in such a catastrophic way. If the health minister and the government could see fit to come to some kind of a compromise, it would have a good outcome and a good outcome for all. Is the alternative massive payout in claims? I hope not. As a cancer survivor and due to have a very pleasant procedure on the 27th of this month, I just hope that this situation can be brought to a satisfactory conclusion. Love your programmes as always. You inspire your listeners. Thank you. It's very kind of you to say that. Um, Jimmy, listen, good luck to you on the 27th of this month and I hope you get through that procedure and everything is okay. But you're, you're, you now are typical of other people that we are hearing from who have appointments coming up in the weeks ahead who are now starting to get a little bit panicky. And really, if you have an appointment 
you know, coming up for some kind of a procedure, some kind of an outpatient. You need to be just focused on that. You don't need to be sitting at home worrying, is it going to be cancelled? Is it going to be be cancelled? And the downside to this nurse's strike and the longer it goes on, it's affecting more and more people. And by the way, for people who are still contacting us to say our what's happening with appointments for this week. People have got appointments tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday and just don't know what's happening. Don't know. Nobody knows really what's happening. We're waiting on the Labour Court. The Labour Court is to make a decision this morning on whether they can commence a formal invitation, a formal intervention in the nurses' dispute. And if they, they feel, after all, the talk that went on over the weekend, that they are able to do something formally, then what more than likely they will do what the Labour Court normally does in a case like that then they would then contact the INMO and they will ask them to suspend their strike action. But as of now, without any intervention, a three-day strike is due to start tomorrow morning at uh, 8am. OK, some of your texts into 0862-103-103. Sandy says... Getting rid of Simon Harris as Minister for Health is pointless. Enda Kenny promised to rid the Department of Health and the HSE of managers and didn't previous health ministers do the same. They did nothing to streamline the health operations in this country. How does anybody expect change in accountability from civil servants, managers or ministers when it's the same mediocre party who will appoint a new minister to positions of responsibility? So no point, waste of time according to Sandy to get rid of the health minister because who's going to take over the brief uh, from uh, him? Uh, Tim says there was no complaint when pro-life people picketed the homes of pro-choice politicians. I agree with protesting at constituency office. Only five years ago, Simon Harris was a European election candidate. Deirdre Clune's team, in adverted commas, by mistake, advertised in the area allocated to him. I think, and, and that caused trouble. I think his doll seat could be in trouble. Uh, and Pascal is in a similar situation, says uh, Tim. M says, hi Patricia, I want to say shame on those that protested outside Minister Simon Harris's house yesterday. It was a complete disgrace. I also think the nurses should simply get back to work. They should be glad to have a job. Uh, their money is simply not there. They need to wake up, smell the roses and realise that uh, the country, we might be back to full employment, but we're not awash with uh, money. Hi, Patricia. It is more than time that Micheál Martin stood up to this government and become a man, not a chicken, says uh, John. Not happy with uh, Micheál Martin and what he is up to and the fact that he is back in this government, even though Micheál Martin and Fianna Fáil have come out and said that with Brexit looming, they're not going to pull down the government and cause a general election. I don't think anyone, regardless of what your party politics are, with Brexit looming, the last thing we need is a general election and instability in this country. Maybe after when we get to see what's going to happen with Brexit at the end of March, maybe then 
if you're still feeling unhappy about what the government are or not doing or Fianna Fáil supporting them or not, then maybe it's a time to go before the people, but certainly not now. Can this? Thank you to Stephen, by the way, who contacted us with this. Stephen was coming out of the Ulster Bank in Bandon last Friday. Were you at, near the Ulster Bank in Bandon last Friday and did you use the ATM machine at the Ulster Bank in Bandon last Friday at about four o'clock? Because when our Stephen, who's a very honest man, was walking out of the bank, he noticed there was money sticking out of the ATM. So he removed the money, walked back into uh, the bank and handed it in. He also reported it to the Gardaí. So he's asked us to call it out. If somebody realised after they left the ATM machine that they're, they're short money, they obviously got distracted, maybe they forgot it, uh, then you can go back into the bank or, the, or go to the Gardaí but go back into the bank is, is probably the best uh, thing. So that was at four o'clock last Friday Ulster Bank in Bandon were you using the ATM machine or a family member using the ATM machine could you have left some or all of your money. I had a friend of mine actually one day was at the bank and like that just got distracted and took out large chunk of money. It was a good few hundred euro I think it could have been five, six hundred euro. And she took it out of the ATM machine and then proceeded to go into the bank and she was paying different bills and trying to put a, you know money into an envelope and putting money into the bank and trying to get organised. And she realised when she got up to the counter, oh, where's the five, say, was 500 euro? I said, oh my God, I don't think I took it out of the machine. You know, the way you get, just get distracted. Went back out, the money was gone. So the bank said, look, don't worry about it. After a certain period of time, if the money isn't taken, the machine will suck it back in. So they said, look, don't worry about it. End of the day, we'll be, you know, when we tot up the ATM machine, there'll be an extra 500 euro in it and it'll be yours and you'll be able to get it and you'll be fine. So she'd wait until the next day, went back into the bank and the bank said, sorry, we don't have good news for you in that the money didn't get sucked back into the machine. Somebody was passing by, saw the money sticking out of the machine, wasn't like our Stephen in Bandon didn't walk back in with the money, put it in their pocket and walked away. The only good news was there was a camera on it and they were able to get clear identification of the person. The Gardaí were called in. Somebody recognised who the person was and they were able to go to to the person and she did eventually get, get her money back. And I remember at the time she's such a kind, caring, considerate person. She didn't want the man to get into trouble because she said you don't know what's going on in his life he might have just seen this as an opportunity he could have been down on his luck and you know almost like money falling out of the sky I'll take that happy days you know here I go and she just she didn't want him she didn't want him prosecuted didn't want him getting in, into any trouble but I know that was taken out of her hands that it was a banking decision never actually found out what did happen did he get into trouble for it or not but the money was returned and she was able to get um, her money back so you got to you do you do have to be very careful. You can get distracted at ATM machines, and I'm now because there's so many scams going on with ATM machines. I'm always more careful of who's behind me, and is it safe to take the money out here? And trying to make sure nobody's seeing my PIN uh, number. So you can be doing all that that you might actually forget to take the money out. So do be careful. But well done, Stephen. Uh, totally admire your honesty, and let's see if we can reunite that money. And obviously, we're not saying how much money it was. The person who lost it will know exactly how much money it was but hopefully we can get the owner of that money uh, back they can get the, the money back to them but well done uh, Stephen a good honest uh, person you'll get good karma back from that I promise you 1850 333103 lines open C103 Jobs 
A childminder wanted it's for two babies, two to three days per week, and it's in the Fremont area. Electricians with industrial experience is wanted for the Ring of Skiddy area, while Dermot Casey Tree Care in Mallow, they've got vacancy for chainsaw operators and uh, climbers. And a secretary slash receptionist slash office administrator wanted for a busy legal practice in Bantry. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now, at the end of this month, a conference will be held in Dublin to highlight the importance of joined up hospital, primary care and community services for people with rare diseases. It will be held on World Rare Disease Day. To talk to us this morning about what life is like living with a rare disease, I'm joined by Melanie Fennell, who is from Whitechurch here in Cork. Uh, good, good morning to you, Melanie. Hi, Patricia. Good morning. How are you? You're, I'm very well. Now, you live with a condition called HHT for short. I, I yeah. let you actually give us the full, uh, how, you, how you actually pronounce it okay. and tell me what it is and, and, and when were you diagnosed. Okay, so basically um, HHT stands for hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia and what that is really is a rare genetic disorder that affects the blood vessels. So we're all made up of veins and arteries which are joined together by a capillary and with somebody with HHT there is a malformation in the capillary or it could be absent completely. So therefore not so bad I suppose in a way if it's maybe outwardly maybe on the nose and things like that now that still comes with its problems but I suppose the main the main worry would be if you had them internally. So that could be the lungs, could be the brain, could be gastrointestinal so it would be in the stomach. Um so I suppose... And, the, and in the title, the first H stands for hereditary. Hereditary. So, so it's, in your, hereditary. it's in your family. It is my family. So it will be passed on from my dad. Now, he suffers with really heavy nosebleeds daily, sometimes several times a day. Um, he would have spots in the face. So we'll just say, I suppose, if you were somebody that has it or doesn't know you have it, I suppose the, the main way of knowing you would have it maybe is you start off from a young age with nosebleeds that are recurrent, that would be unexplained. You could have what are called telangiectasis on the fingertips. You could have them on the lips, on the tongue, and they will be little red spots. So some people could have those. They would have nothing to do with HHT, but if the recurrent nosebleeds, they may be bleeding during your sleep and then maybe coughing up blood and maybe then you become anemic because of this. So it come, they will probably be the first signs and symptoms. Um, then that could give you the idea that maybe you should go get this checked and then it would be probably the internal ones that would cause you the major problems. So, so was your dad the first to be diagnosed? So he wasn't actually. We, he, we knew he had all these spots. He's got his face is quite covered in them, his tongue, his, his gums. But it was just kind of something that we just passed off going well that's just something that he's always had his brother would have it his sisters would have it but it never really caused serious problems that they would have been hospitalised for it or anything like that you know the nosebleeds were just inconvenient that you could be in the middle of a wedding or something like that and you would get a really heavy nosebleed but you just became used to dealing with them so plugging the nose or using maybe a Vaseline to keep the nose moist things like that but then in 2000 my brother um, Jason would have had I suppose his first episode where we didn't know what it was, we, he was misdiagnosed that he had meningitis, but he was actually after having a stroke and he was bleeding at that point internally into his lungs. So 
Now, nothing was coming outward, so we'll say he was bleeding into the lung and that was causing maybe, I suppose, lack of oxygen and to the brain and he was breathless. But again, as I said, because HHC at the time was relatively unknown, he was misdiagnosed. So he was living in Dublin at the time. My parents brought him back to Cork and he started coughing up little bits of blood and then that was misdiagnosed again as pleurisy because of the meningitis that he previously had. But again, that was all misdiagnosis. So... He was eventually admitted to hospital after a severe hemorrhage and it's at this time then that we, we all became aware that we suffered with HHT. And what age was Jason at this stage? He was 28. It was actually, I think, the day after his 28th birthday oh that he got the first episode. And after that, then we all started receiving tests and scans and things like that. And then I realised I had it in my lungs as well, but nothing in comparison to the, the level my brother had his so, do, so, so has everybody in the family been tested? So everybody in the family has been tested. There's six of us in total. So of my five siblings, there is one only has escaped. Only, only one? But again, it's the, the worst affected was my, my oldest brother. And yeah. then there's 12 grandchildren and they haven't all been tested yet because we're waiting. There's a process with um, testing. It has to be done through our ladies in Dublin and there's genetic testing. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So of the kids that have been checked, there's only one after escaping there so far as well. So, And so you, what, what, what's the symptoms for you then? So for myself, it just would have been nosebleeds. As a child, again, this is before we realised what Jason had. So there would have been nosebleeds to begin with. And you could be out playing at school or you could be just at home and you could wake up with a nosebleed or you could get them during school. And again, it was kind of like we were nearly known. Me and my cousin were in school together and we were nearly known other the two with the nosebleeds. <laughs> it was just, as I said, it didn't really affect us. We just got on with this. But I suppose Jason um, brought it to light then. And he's long had, he got a coil put in one of the AVMs in his lungs. So that's that would stand for an arteriovenous malformation. So he would have got a coil put in that, but it was probably gone beyond that because there was so much time after lapsing when they realised that he had it. Mm. So he actually 
relapsed again the following year and he had to have part of his lung removed for that reason. But oh my God. Most recently then, his son, at two and a half weeks old, had a bleed on his brain and now he's fine, thank God, but they had a lot of really long roads with him, really roller coaster ride because he's he was so small and they didn't know how it was going to affect him long term, but he was being peg fed for, I'd say, up until the last few months. Now he is going to be turning three next month and he's flying. He's Brilliant. fantastic. But and actually, it's, pro- it's probably better for the kids coming up that at least now you know that this condition is in the family. Exactly. So everybody exactly. knows which, and when you turn up at a hospital. Now, that's the only problem because it is quite rare. There's one in 5,000 people suffer with, with similar to cystic fibrosis, which we all know if you say... See, Every, everybody, everybody knows, knows it about is. it, yeah. So unfortunately, it's still not very well known. So to, to be fair to Dara Wood, who unfortunately lost her son in 2012, um, Paul Wood, she is... She's, she's really giving so much time and effort into just re, just pushing it out there just so everybody knows what it is if you go to a hospital. But you could still show it up at a hospital and they still wouldn't know what it is. But if you have any feeling at all that you might suffer with this or somebody in your family or look back along with your cousins or aunts and uncles and just say, Jesus, maybe that's what they suffered with or maybe that's what they had. Maybe we should look into this. And if you go on the HHT website, so it's hhtireland.org and there's a lot of information there and you can print off an information leaflet that you could bring to your maybe your GP even because Yeah, because GPs will not be aware. No, I mean that's the not. whole thing about rare diseases. Until somebody presents and they become aware of it, it'll be individual practices and will even, know. Even like with I I've had two kids now and I remember when I first went to my gynecologist for my first visit I told him that I had it, but sure, he didn't know about it at all, hadn't a notion what it was, and he'd be quite uh, long, you would be working as a gynecologist for a very long time. But to be fair, once he knew, he he put an awful lot of work into it himself, a lot of effort Great. finding out about it, but you have to educate yourself, I think. Yeah, are you going along to this, con- this conference? I am, on the 23rd of March, yeah. so we're, a few of us are going to go up to it, now it's in Leash. Yeah, and because... And there's, and there's four and, doctors um, speaking at it. Now, we're lucky in Cork that we have the Centre of Excellence in the Mercy Hospital um, under the under Professor Brady. So we're lucky in that sense that that is here in Cork, but my brother's kids attend a hospital in Dublin. So again, once you, you're informed, once you have the information, once you can take that along with you, and I suppose you yourself are probably the most valued person really when it comes to yourself so it would just be to educate yourself you know yeah you, you're, you're, you're great as the advocate and treatment wise is, is there a treatment I mean you, you, you'll have this for life you have it for life and there's no treatment as such I okay. suppose if you suffer you could suffer with anemia so just keeping on top of that with maybe blood transfusions or iron infusions or just maybe taking supplements that would be one of the things that I'd suffer mostly with would be the lack of iron um, and that would make you feel very tired and you'd be exhausted. Exhausted, breathless. Yeah. Um, and you could, again, you could even think that's something else. I was often thinking, am I getting a panic attack? I'm I know. breathless and whatever. But um, that, but I suppose keeping up with your regular screenings, keeping on top of, as I said, I've got them in my lungs, but they're very minor. They haven't affected me. And just keeping on top of your screenings and keeping to your visits. Be aware yourself if you feel that there's something up or something not quite right. Don't leave it go because leaving a go could lead to something it could lead it could lead to death ultimately so it would be maybe if something happened you could have one in the lung and that can lead to 
sudden death or it could lead to stroke. Like there's a lot more complications go along with it. The nosebleeds are probably the minor one, you know. Yeah, yeah. And just, and you, because you're a beautician. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does it does it affect you in your day to day work? It probably would have more so when I was pregnant. Again, this was in email, quite breathless, getting tired easily. But I suppose the most embarrassing thing could be you could be doing somebody's nails or you could be waxing someone's brows and you could get a heavy nosebleed. Oh. But you know what? You just laugh it off. It's I know. I know. And it's fine. It's yeah. fine. But I suppose it can be awkward. Yeah, but you you go nowhere obviously without tissues and you'd be tissues and you'd have make sure if you were if you you can kind of almost scent if your nose is dry or things like that just to keep maybe a little bit of cream. Um, there used to be used to be able to get cauterization before they're kind of going against that now when they're recommending laser therapy instead. And you can get laser on any unsightly ones that you might have on the face and things. Now, thankfully, I don't really have many of those. It would be more on my hands than that, and they don't bother me. So well I, I'm pretty lucky. As I said, there's a lot worse. Out there, and, and you've a great positive attitude, which which is important. You, yes, it is, and I suppose we are. My mother would have put a lot of work into kind of educating herself even before we had internet or anything like that. I suppose anywhere she could get information from, she would. And you can't beat the Irish mammy. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and I suppose even in the hospital when when my brother first um, got sick, and they kind of would say it was this and that, she just kept pushing. No, there's more to it than this. There's more, and I suppose you just—it's a mother's instinct, isn't it? Never to give up on their children. Yeah, and then I'm sure the first day it was mentioned, the whole family went what? I know. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> this is it. Um, and we've had cousins now and aunts and uncles and stuff that have had to be checked, and at least now their kids know. And you know, it's kind of—it's but it's I think one thousand in Ireland, but there's definitely they say the figures are ninety to ninety-five percent. Um, are undiagnosed yeah, so a, there's be. definitely a lot more than okay, that Okay well well done you've, you, you've, you've put the message out there it may ring a bell with somebody listening this morning who may realise that yeah, they are a family the member have. Is there anyway So it's hhtireland.org info at hhtireland.org and Dara Wood will be there to answer any questions for anybody Alright listen it was a pleasure talking to you Melanie thank you for that thanks for joining us bye bye Melanie Fennell who joins us from White Church in advance of World Rare Disease Day. Uh, 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 €1,580. If I gave it to you now, how would you spend it? Home improvements? Brand new wardrobe? Clear off that credit card or maybe that holiday you've always wanted to go on? See. See. Tell me who they are, I'll give it to you tomorrow. Celebrity Seas is back. Plus, I'll help you get through your Tuesday morning traffic into work. All of Cork's greatest hits. And if it's happening in Cork, you hear about it here. See you tomorrow morning from 6. C103. We were talking about the money in the ATM machine. And uh, we had our very honest listener in Bandon who took money out of an ATM machine, was passing an ATM machine and saw that somebody had left money behind and dropped it straight back into the bank. Susan in Clonakilty uh, says, just when you're talking of money in ATM machines, should I withdraw €300 Euro, uh, f- recently from an ATM machine? And I decided I'd count the money there and then at the ATM machine, but the machine only gave me €250 Euro and not €300. One of the €50 Euro notes was folded. So when it came out, the ATM machine counted it twice, which meant I was short €50. I went back into the bank and they had to check the ATM at the, I'm assuming they did at the end of the day. And I did get my money back. But just to make people aware of it, that can happen as well. 
always check the money that you're taking out of the machine to make sure that you have it. Now, Eddie in Maham has contacted us about his concerns around illegal dumping and in particular the issue of the man with the van who goes around collecting rubbish from households and uh, Eddie joins me. Good morning, Eddie. Good morning, Patricia. And thank you for contacting us about this and, and sending on uh, photographic evidence uh, with it. And obviously, we're not going to identify anybody here. But tell me what you have noticed recently in your area. There was this person going around with a van, and it, about six days a week, his, the van has been loaded. And we'll say it comes back at three o'clock full, and it goes away again around seven and eight o'clock at night and it comes back at 9 o'clock empty. Now there's, there is no uh, municipal site uh, going to any corporation open at that hour of the night and it could happen seven days a week. And is this household rubbish? A, a lot of it is household rubbish, yes. There would be back bags, there'd be uh, beds, there'd be uh, whatever. And do you and believe I, people are paying this guy to dispose of their rubbish? Yes, because uh, he's sadly going through for nothing. And now I've spoken to the Cork City Council, the Environment Department, and they said they send it on to the um, uh, warden. But there's only four wardens covering Cork City. So yeah, I've spoken to the guards in Mayfield about it. I've spoken to the guards in Anglesey Street about it. And all the guards in Anglesey Street said it's not illegal to load your van. It's only illegal to catch them when they're uh, uh, dumpy. I thought you had to have a licence to go around clicking uh, I, Yeah, I, well, yeah, well, that wouldn't be up to the Gardaí. That would be up to the Environmental Department of Cork County Council. Yeah. But I but, suppose, I see, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of, what the, of, what, of what this guy would, um, would say. I mean, if he got stopped, he could say, oh, these are the, this is the contents of my house or, you know, rubbish I've been collecting and I'm going to a civic community site. But as you say, there isn't any civic community sites open between six and nine. Okay, fair enough. He could say that, but like when the guy asked, uh, surely said uh, the environment can come in. Uh, said we notice that your van is being filled yeah. every day. Can we? Uh, where are you dumping? He said, Well, they'd have to. They'd have to do a sting operation on him. They'd have to fo- either follow him, or yeah. they'd have to set it up in such a way where you'd put something into a bag, like a tracker, and then and then track it. Now, I don't, I don't know if they go to those kind of efforts, but if he's doing what you're claiming he's doing, that's a lot of illegal dumping. And that's oh, just from one person. Yes, yeah, just from one person. Yeah, I know. Another friend is doing too. Only I haven't got uh, uh, real proof of the other person. But I know I've got proof. Yeah, yes, you have proof I had. I could tell him uh, what proof I had by uh, naming, giving the number of the vehicle and stuff like that. You know to the girls and do you, the, do, you, do you know the person? Oh yeah. Yeah. And does he have a date? Has he a job? No. No. And no. you're saying a, a good few times a week you will see that you've sent us a picture on it's a, a, a an open back end the back of the truck is open very clearly it's it's full of rubbish and you yeah. say you That's say you say four or five five or six times a week that yeah. van is full yeah. And then it disappears. It, it, it's gone at 6pm. It's back again at 9, ready to start work the next day. Yes. And you say it's empty. Yes. Oh, where and is he no, dumping no, the rubbish? Yeah, yeah but see, that, I, I, that, I, I can't prove that. No, I know, I know. Without following him. Yeah. And I, you don't have to be a mathematician to, to know. 
yeah. And it's, uh, as, uh, like, I, I thought uh, the environment could uh, stop and say, look, okay, can we see your receipts from, we'll say, the Kinsella Road Municipal Point or the yeah, one in, yeah, uh, yeah. Or the one in Mill Street or uh, McCroom or wherever. Yeah, it's shocking, and it, and this problem with this type of illegal dumping is is getting worse. We all have a responsibility, by the way. Any of us who've ever, even though I've, I say us, I've never actually done it. But if you to anyone who's ever employed somebody to take away rubbish, you need to ask the question: Where is that rubbish going? Well, yeah, and to the people who are, uh, implying that these types of people uh, are wrong, uh, just as wrong. Yeah, yeah. Even though you could have somebody who who would say, you know, I have a shed to clear out. This guy arrives, I'll take the rubbish away. Mm. I, I mean, people pay him in good faith, believing he's going to bring it to yeah. a dump, yeah. not, not, not an illegal dump. And I mentioned earlier when I meant when I said you were coming on with me, mm. people need to be careful here. If you've got a bag of rubbish collected by this guy and you pay him to get rid of the rubbish and he illegally dumps it, and the council do go through that bag of rubbish and there's something in it with your name and address on it, you'll be, li- you'll, you'll yeah. be liable. You'll be liable. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying where this man doing it, but there's a, a dump, uh, it's on the radio there, it's, on a, it's in Belleville Lane, I think. We but spoke about it last week. Yeah, that's, that's going to cost uh, the bones of a half a million uh, to clear up. That's what they say, I don't know. But I guess half a million could be spent uh, building a house for a homeless person or, some, or something like that. And it's a site that's been cleared up before and then yeah. they're back again another few years and will we be back talking about it again another few years, Eddie, when yeah. they're going to have to clean it up again? All right, listen, well yeah. spotted by uh, you and well done uh, for you to, for, for doing your bit, for doing your yeah, well, bit I, and, and trying to I, get I, the message. Yeah, because I have five bins myself because I'm not bossed about anything and I pay, I pay five bins every week. So I, you want to pay for all one go, you, I just pay for weekly. And they're collected. All right. Yeah. All right, Eddie, thank you for that. Eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three. Just be careful though, guys, please, if you are employing somebody to take your rubbish away, there are unscrupulous people out there who will take your hard earned cash, they'll take your rubbish and then they'll go off and they'll fly tippers or they illegally dump. I mean that's what certainly was going on with the amount of rubbish that's been dumped in Ballyvillan. But if this is one man with a van and Eddie said at least six days a week he loads up that van and dumps it, that's just he does deserve to get caught. He really, really does uh, deserve to get caught. Nula in Domanwe, this is on something completely different, was watching The Week in Politics on TV last night and she heard one of the panellists uh, speak. They were talking about the voting in of Lord Mayors and of course Cork City are one of the places that could be one of the first to get a directly elected Lord Mayor. There's a is it a referendum or a plebiscite that's been held as part of the local and European elections asking the good people of Cork City if that's what they'd like to do to directly elect a mayor. Anyway, that was part of the discussion on the week in politics last night that Nuala was listening. But then she said she caught a bit of a shock when it came up about what would the salary be for these directly elected mayors. mayors. And the panellists said that the wage packet would be €130,000 a year. Well, 
where new Linda Mammy nearly fell off the chair. She said, that's a huge sum of money, she said, stunned by it. She said, we're ordinary working class people trying to support and put our children through college and to hear that kind of money being mentioned is absolutely shocking. It's, I'm sure it's on the front page. I'll get it. I'll, I'll, I'll dig it out in a second. I'm sure it's on the front page of the Irish Examiner today. We have the current mayor of Cork, Mick Finn, is he's brought up about this notion that the directly elected mayor will be getting €130,000 a year. And obviously at the moment, the Lord Mayor of both the city and the council, the county council, get nothing like that. But Mick Finn, who is the current mayor, he thinks it's it's too much as well. The reason of that figure, 130000 has been mentioned is they're putting it on par with the minister's salary. That's what the idea is going to be. So you'll have a directly elected mayor and they'll get the same wage packet as a minister. Anyway, Nuala in Dunham were shocked by it. Wants us to mention it here to see are others shocked by it? Or is that the wage packet that should go with the role of directly elected mayor of Cork that we need to get the right person in the job and the right person needs to be well paid and they should be on the same wage packet as a minister. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Happy birthday to Catherine O'Connor, who is the chairperson of the Clonakilty Tidy Towns. And Catherine is celebrating a very special birthday today. Happy birthday to you, Catherine. Love and best wishes from your daughter Aoife in Australia, your daughter Triana, your husband Angus and your cockapoo, who I'm told is called Hurley. So happy birthday from all of the family. And I'm told as we speak, Catherine is driving, going away for a few days to celebrate her special birthday. And she's heading to Ardmore and she's in the car as we speak. So safe driving, have a lovely few days away and uh, have a terrific birthday. And while we're on plugs and mentions, there was a text in earlier saying line dancing will be going ahead in Clondrohit Hall this coming Thursday. This coming Thursday is the 14th of February. It is, of course, Valentine's Day. So if you'd like to do some Valentine line dancing, half past seven on Thursday night, it says, and I quote, this is what's in the text, hee-haw, Get your dancing boots on and get ready a great night assured. Might be the night where you meet the man or woman of your dreams. A little bit of line dancing for Valentine's Day. Clondrohid Hall. I can see some questions coming in for Annalise. Thank you for those. Keep them coming because Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, will be answering your questions later on in this hour. So any questions that you have, uh, get them in. Let me catch up on calls and texts into the programme on Simon Harris and the protest outside his home yesterday. Vincent in Newmarket. Simon Harris came out thanking the Gardaí for keeping his wife and newborn baby safe. But they were never in real fear yesterday, says Vincent. At the end of the day, it wasn't that type of protest. It was a peaceful protest. Simon Harris brought trouble to people's door by not doing his job properly with people left on trolleys etc. So it's very clear to everybody out there that this man is simply not up to the job. Our health system is in is sh- is is shattering in front of our eyes. And Fianna Fáil are not coming out smelling of roses either. At the end of the day, they are keeping the government in power. No sympathy from Vincent in Newmarket to Simon Harris. And he feels the protest yesterday, it was correct and right that it went uh, ahead. Uh, I don't know, how we're not getting that kind of a vibe. I have to say the majority of people 
have sympathy, I think, for Simon Harris and what happened on his private property yesterday. He mightn't, they mightn't be, he mightn't be their number one fan, but uh, certainly from what we're getting in on phone calls and and texts, most people are saying, no, that might have been just a step too far, but an understanding, yes, of why people were doing it. Dan says, Patricia, Uh, To be honest, the problem with the children's hospital did not start with Minister Simon Harris. It started the day the contract was awarded to BAM at €150 million below the next tender. BAM knew that they would recoup that plus the rest due to the tender document shortfalls. The policy of accepting the lowest tender is well known for state work, with the final cost being multiples of the tender price. So Sophia Fall should remember the IMF, etc., which makes the hospital losses seem chicken feed, says Dan. And, you know, that does need to be looked at. Our whole tender process needs to be looked at because, bam, you're right, they've come in on this one, the Children's Hospital. Bam are also the company that are involved with the event centre in Cork. We need to look at our tendering process and decide what's wrong with our tendering process. If somebody can come in and tender and then come back and say, oh, well, no, sorry, we didn't include this, we didn't include that. Oh, actually, we got that figure wrong. We need to do this. That's making a complete mockery of the tender system. You would hope with the Price Waterhouse Cooper, the fact that they've been paid a half a million to find out why the National Children's Hospital, why we've got such a huge overrun on that. You would hope that one of their recommendations when they come back will be you need, guys, you need to take a look at the tendering process going forward. If we're paying Cooper a half a million, let us please learn lessons. And I hope that that lesson, if no other lesson but that is learnt, that going forward, this never, ever happens again. Somebody else says, Trish, what is a disgrace? Are elderly people lying uh, and being treated on hospital corridors, left for hours upon hours, and then their details being discussed with everybody to hear? That treatment is the one that is a disgrace. How the nurses are being treated, that is another disgrace. People who felt the need to go to Simon Harris's house yesterday are just fed up with all that is happening. And at the end of the day, it was a peaceful process. He was glad of the nurses the day his beautiful daughter entered the world. Bad management is the issue here. Get rid of all the pen pushers. We have too many pen pushers when it comes to our hospitals and within the Department of Health. That is where the real issue lies. 1850-333-103 on the cyclists that we discussed in the last hour and the fact that people are illegally parking on cycle lanes. Pat says, hi Patricia. We are a great country for making rules and regulations, but where we fall down, we don't enforce them. Like the bike lanes that you've been discussing this morning, the bus corridors and especially the car ban on Patrick Street in in Cork. Did you know that cars and vans are going through all the time and nobody to stop them? It's a joke. You either enforce the ban or you scrap it completely. Love the show. Thank you. Thank you, Pat, for that. Is that true? The Pana Street ban, as they're calling it. Are cars and vans going down all the time? I did hear the first time it was in- introduced and you had the guardies standing there stopping cars and big signs and all of that and then that got that well that got suspended and then it got reintroduced again I'd heard there was a more softer approach to it and there wasn't the big signs and there wasn't a member from Garda Shikona stopping cars and vans going down going down it but according to Pat 
it's not being enforced at all. There's cars and vans going down Patrick Street during that time. Is it three to six in the afternoon is when the ban is in, in place. I, I will certainly look into it. I didn't realise that it has been breached as much as what Pat has, has said. Uh, 1850-333-103. Stay on the cycling for a moment because there's some texts in uh, on that. Somebody makes the point. A lot of those cyclists that people are complaining about do the Ring of Kerry for cancer treatment every year. So please be nice to them. There's a lot of money raised from those cyclists who get involved in charity cycles in the end. The Ring of Kerry is a particularly popular one that is done for cancer services and there's a lot of those charity cycles. I know St Joseph's Foundation where Marcia, my daughter, attends. They have a big cycle every year and it brings in a lot of money and there are a lot of other charities like that that rely on those cycles every year in order to keep their front doors open and unfortunately for charities they have, they have no choice if they want to keep going they have to keep doing more and more fundraising so let's not knock cyclists is what this listener is saying we should be thankful to them for the amount of money that is actually raised and Burnout in Clonakilty says regarding children cycling and getting used to the road my son who was 12 years of age cycles to school every morning well done Burnout I cycled with him for a few years when he was uh, smaller but now he's able to go on his own um, if he gets no other exercise during the day at least I know he said the 10 minutes cycling to school and the 10 minutes coming home in the evening and that's from Burnout in the Clonakilty area and I wonder how many children are cycling to school I take it it's a very small number. Maybe in some of the rural areas they are. I certainly don't see children and I have to pass both a primary school and a secondary school on my way on my way to and from work. And I certainly don't see I will keep a really good eagle eye out later today and again tomorrow just to see but I don't see many people cycling to school not certainly that was there in previous generations where you would go into a school and you would see a bicycle shed and it would be full of bicycles maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm just not noticing as many students cycling because I know parents will say the roads are just not safe enough for them 1850 thank you there's questions for Annalise keep those coming and Jim says hi Patricia uh, thanks for the tickets that I won on your show last week to go along and see Tommy Fleming live in concert at the Opera House at the weekend he was excellent and he had a bit of a story to go with most of his songs some of the stories were sad some of the stories were funny I didn't realise he lost both of his parents they died on the same day also says Jim I didn't realise he broke his neck in a car accident and it was his late mother said to him I didn't think he could break a brass uh, neck uh, says Jim I've been to Tom, one of Tommy's concerts uh, I've, I've been before and that's what I love about his concerts besides he's a lovely singer and all of that I love that natural banter that he has in that way that he tells stories but yeah it was to 2012, was it, when he lost both of his parents? It was one, I think it was the mum died in the morning and the dad died that later on that day and they buried both of them together. They just, I think it was their 50th wedding anniversary. They had just celebrated and they buried both of them. And, and I remember him talking to me here in the studio later on that year when he joined us. It was coming up to Christmas and, you know, I remember saying it's going to be a tough Christmas without the first Christmas without his parents and both of them together. I thought, God, that seemed particularly cruel. But he said for the family's point of view, there was something 
comforting in the fact that the parents had gone together and they had the, the double funeral then in the church where they had been married and he said there was something comforting in knowing that they had gone together that, you know, they weren't without each other even in uh, death. But thank you, uh, Jim. I'm glad to know that you enjoyed uh, the concert. And as I say, he's I've, I've been to his concerts before and they really are great. Now, I just want to get in one more uh, text in this bunch, if I can. I can see text coming in for Annalise. Keep those coming. This is from somebody that just signs themselves a North Cork uh, listener. Hi, Patricia. I'm sick to death about hearing about health and uh, safety. And health and safety is something we often cover on your business. They have every business in rural Ireland closed with all of the health and safety that's going on. Um, and they should be looking at a way more important things uh, that are simply being ignored. And I'll cite an example for you. I was at three night funeral removals, Newmarket and uh, Bally Desmond. On the same night, the light, the lightning, the lighting, street lighting in both areas was particularly bad. My eyesight wouldn't be the best and I actually fell in the street in Newmarket hurting my knee. I ended up having to go to the doctor as a result of it and it was all down to very inadequate street light lighting, particularly bad street lighting near funeral homes. You would actually, if you're going to a nighttime removal in the dark evenings. You really would want to be bringing a flash lamp with you just to get you to and from the car. And those orange street lights are a complete disaster. It's white lights is what we need because they give much better coverage and really light up a dark street. I've decided after what has happened to me recently, I will not be going to nighttime removals uh, anymore. This is something that they need to get in order and yet it maddens me when I hear all about health and safety. By the way, the Mill Street funeral home, wherever that is located, good good lighting there. But the ones in Newmarket and Bally Desmond near where the funeral's home, the council really need to take a look at uh, street lights. And when you mention the orange, orange light versus white light, from what I can see, and this is just anecdotal evidence I'm noticing myself, as street lamps are going, and as the ESB network system is responsible for the street lights, not the council, they seem to be replacing them with white lights because I've noticed in the housing estate where I live, well, the back of my house faces the housing estate. You know, we're, we're in a horseshoe and I'm out the front of our our housing estate. And there's two lights that are shining in the back of the house. And there's goodness with that bright light coming from. And it looks like the bulbs had gone and they've been replaced with very, very strong white lights. And they are giving a huge amount of illumination, way more than the older street lamps. Now, that's just something I've noticed. I don't know if other people have noticed that. As, and and it, from what I can see, because it's only two of the lamps have these very, very bright white lights. So I'm assuming that when the bulbs were blown, they got replaced with these. Are they LEDs? 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls, get your questions in for Annalise, please text or WhatsApp 862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie 
Blood Transfusion Service, they are holding a donor clinic. It is in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic and that is on uh, today between 5pm and 8.30. Mallow ICA, they're hosting a fashion show by Paco. It's on tonight at half past seven. It'll be in the Mallow Social Services Hall and all are welcome. Sarsfields Hurling Club in Riverstown are holding an Irish night in the pavilion this Wednesday night. Half past eight, all are welcome, including musicians. Kildallery Community Development, their weekly lottery draw, that's in Sheehan's Bar on Thursday. While dancing to Finbar Dennehy will be held in Kilbritton Hall for their social and dance with tea and cakes. It's on this Friday night at half past nine, with proceeds going towards the upkeep of the hall. And the the petition that's online, and I know we've discussed this petition with Annalise Drussell and no doubt we'll mention it again, and this is to do with the health food supplements and the fact that the revenue commissioners and the government are going to increase the VAT on the health food supplements, all your vitamin C's, your cod liver oil, any of those uh, type of med- medication. There's an online petition because the VAT will go up to by 23%. It's at zero at the moment. It's really, really going to push up the prices because a lot of those items are expensive uh, as it is. And uh, the there is a change.org. If you go on the change.org, in the online petitions, there's a do not tax health food supplements on that. And it seems it's up to 32,000 now, which is terrific. And it is gaining momentum. I heard Joe on the live line uh, talking about it uh, last week. Some are coming a bit late to the table. I saw some of the news on TV. We're doing Vox Pops and asking people and a lot of people didn't know about it. In fairness, Annalise Drussell raised that issue on this programme, I would say six months ago. I'd say when it first got mooted because it's one of those things that would have got mentioned very quietly. Let's slip it under the radar and say nothing. And then, of course, coming nearer, nearer the time because it's the start of March. It's a few weeks away that the supplements will go up in price. So well done that that petition has gone to 32,000. And as I say, I'm sure that Annalise will want to mention it again today on the programme. Uh, Mary says, hi, Patricia, about the listeners who are saying that nurses are paid enough. Why are they the lowest of all of the civil servants? Bring the overpaid civil servants down, including all of our government ministers and TDs. They are doing nothing and getting a lot of money, according to Mary, and they could use the savings there to pay the nurses instead. On bins and the dumping of rubbish, Paula says it is so wrong that people are watching their neighbours so closely that they know who's collecting their bins. That should be made illegal. Nosy neighbours checking up on each other. Well, I suppose nosy neighbours... It's very easy to see who puts a bin out in the morning. I mean, if you put your bin out on bin day, and I know that you could say, oh, there's a couple of other bin companies, but it's very clear to see who in the neighbourhood doesn't have a bin out at some stage during the week. And then the question mark goes, what are they doing with their rubbish? Is that being a nosy neighbour? According to our Paula, it is. Anne says, is there anything being done by the council are indeed members of Angarda Siakona to get rid of the mobile home and the rubbish that's outside Kilcrumper Cemetery. People are not going there to visit their grave, their families of their loved ones anymore unless they have a few other family members with them. They feel intimidated by the presence of that uh, mobile home. And what are we... And w- uh, also... Are we going to get another summer without the lay-by on the Cork Road in Fraboy? What happened to all the plans that were mentioned last summer to reclaim that uh, lay-by? Because, yeah, there's um, 
there's members of the travelling community and they're living moved in there even though we spoke didn't we speak with the, the people that are illegally parked there and they say that they're not interfering with anybody who wants to come in and use the picnic area but others say that you know they feel intimidated if you go along and you see somebody who has moved a caravan and a mobile, a mobile home people just feel a little bit intimidated by them. We might get on to one of the councillors in one of the Formoy councillors if we have them coming on to talk about something else on the programme we can ask them I don't know I haven't heard anything about Kilcrump or Graveyard since and didn't have to go back to the courts or we back again with having to get an injunction to get them to move on because that was the family that had been living in the, in the Beachfield estate the housing estate in Formoy and you remember there was an injunction and then they moved and they moved to Kilcrumper Cemetery outside the cemetery instead. Now I know the last time we mentioned it was last week or the week before because we got some photographs in. Now I'm not saying it was the family who live in the mobile home but there was dumping. They've been dumping at the cemetery as well and that just really was upsetting for family members going to see their loved ones and to see that amount of rubbish like that dumped outside a graveyard. John and Cove says, I stand 100% behind the nurses uh, and also those that protested outside Simon Harris's house yesterday. At the end of the day, it's a public road and the public of this country are very gullible. There should be more of those protesters and fair play to the Gardaí. They recognised it was a peaceful protest and they left the people protest. Yeah, I saw that. There was a video clip went up online of the of a member from Gardaí, Shikona, and they went and spoke with the protest, asked them who they were, asked them what they were doing. And, you know, they weren't breaking any, any law. We In this country, you are allowed to protest. But what a lot of people who were against what happened yesterday felt was that it was just where in fact, it was outside his home, protest away, but do it outside his constituency office this morning or do it outside the doll because he's going to be in the doll today. Do it there instead of outside his home. On cyclists, Marion Donnerell says, we motorists are paying high road tax every year for the privilege of driving on a road. What are the cyclists paying? Nothing. So they're not entitled to cycle lanes according to Marion Donnerell. Every bike in Jersey has a number plate and they all pay road tax the same as motorists do. Why can't they do something similar here? And then when they pay road tax, they'll have a right to dictate whether they have cycle lanes or not. We did have somebody earlier say that as, uh, we, you don't have to pay it, but some cyclists pay into Cycling Ireland, which is kind of an umbrella group for cyclists. But that's towards insurance. That's slightly different to what Mary and Donnell is talking about here. She wants an actual road tax. If you're on the road, Motorists have to pay a road tax to drive the roads and cyclists should be doing uh, the same thing. And Donny said, that North Cork listener who contacted you about the street uh, lightning, it must be about the street lighting. It must be your eyesight because Donny said there's perfect lighting in Valley Desmond and in Newmarket. So Donny doesn't know what the woman is uh, talking about. And Anne in Bantir says, I think we should not dump rubbish, but neighbours spying on each other is wrong. Why didn't that man go over and talk to his neighbour instead? Hang on, you're completely missing the point. It, what what he Eddie is witnessing is somebody who lives in his area who goes out with this empty van and is collecting rubbish, obviously getting paid, taking money. He's hardly doing it for the better of his health. And then he's back when the van, when the truck is full, he's back, he parks up the truck and then at six o'clock he leaves and when he comes back at nine, the truck is empty, ready to start loading the next day. So it isn't, this isn't Eddie spying on his neighbour and his neighbour dumping one black bag of rubbish. This is Eddie spying 
not even spying, seeing somebody near where he lives who very obviously is collecting rubbish illegally and then dumping it. Now, as he said, he can't prove where he's dumping it. That is the problem. And that's why he got onto the powers that be to check out this person. And this is just one man with a van, one man with a truck. There's got to be others doing similar. And he just wants to find out where is the rubbish going because there's no civic immunity site open between six and nine at night where he could be legally dumping the rubbish. He doesn't know where. It is going. 1850 uh, John Paul taking your calls or if you want to text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Let's take a break and we're back with Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, answering your questions. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And we are off to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic, where I'm joined by Annalise Drassel. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And one of our listeners very quickly to point out to us, uh, she has been tracking the, uh, sign the petition on change.org. Up to 32,000 signatures now between online and hard copies against the VAT on health food supplements. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge public, obviously, outrage about it, Patricia. So we'll we'll wait and we'll see. Um, the local TD here for um, Cork West, um, Andres Moynan, actually, is is going to take it up, hopefully, in the Doyle this week. So maybe maybe we'll get some answers. Uh, maybe we'll get a stay. I hope so, because I really just think there's something so unfair about a higher tax on health supplements than there is on cans of Coca-Cola. Yeah, and people taking them to try to keep to keep themselves healthy and healthy for longer. There's something uh, something really wrong with it. Okay, straight into questions for you. Hi, Patricia and Annalise. Any suggestions on strong supplements for possible rheumatoid arthritis? I'm in the early stages. I did try the CBD oil, but no effect. Okay, so rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disorder. So it's not wear and tear of the joints. It is that the body's immune system, own immune system, is attacking the joints and destroying the cartilage. So the, the, the focus really actually is on about rebalancing the immune system as well as protecting joints. So I would definitely recommend a high-strength omega-3 fat. And you're looking for one that has a minimum of 600 milligrams of EPA in it. So um, a health shop should be able to get you a good one, but I'm afraid if you get a cheap fish oil, it's it's not it's not going to be a good quality. So you just do have to pay for the more expensive one. Now it can take up to three months for fish oils to really sort of fully kick in. So don't lose um, hope if you don't notice an immediate benefit. But these are one of the best kind of anti-inflammatory and immunomodulatory and in the natural medicine field. So definitely work with those. I think you need to be on a high dose of vitamin D. Anybody who's on an autoimmune disorder, um, studies often show that people with autoimmune disorders, vitamin D levels tend to be much lower than average than healthy people. So take a vitamin D supplement of... I'd say during the winter, you probably want to be taking about 3,000 IUs. And then during the summer, at least 1,000 IUs. And if you don't go in the sun at all, keep up to 3,000 all year round. Um, now, people who would have lupus wouldn't be able to go into the sunshine, Patricia, because the UV light can trigger their skin rashes. So for people with the autoimmune disease lupus, stay on the 3,000 year round unless your doctor tells you otherwise. And then other nice natural anti-inflammatories would be things like the turmeric. 
again, that works very well to kind of help um, bring down the inflammation around the joints. And there is a very good supplement by a company called Nature's Plus, which is called um, First Day Anti-Inflammatory Response, which is a very long name for some reason. But that can be great if you're in a flare-up because it can it's very, very strong and it can bring the inflammation down quickly. So that's called, again, Nature's Plus First Day Anti-Inflammatory Response. So they'd be the basics that I'd recommend. Okay, Mary asks, would Annalise have any help or advice for severe dry eye? I've tried prescription eye drops and nighttime repair creams. Plus I take MacuShield and Sona Omega-3, all with very little success. Also, how much does Manuka honey cost? Thank you, says Mary. Okay, so the dry eye thing can be a bit difficult. Um, now the Sona... Omega-3, I know, is not probably high enough. So she probably needs to get a higher, a one with higher DHA in it. DHA, EPA and DHA are the two active omega-3s that come in a fish oil. EPA is a very good natural anti-inflammatory. And DHA is the one that we want for the fatty tissue in our brain, the fatty tissue in our nerve, in our nerves, you know, the, the myelin sheet that surrounds the nerves. It's very good for skin and it'll be very good for mucous membranes of the eye health. So switch to an omega-3 that's very high in DHA. Um, another one that's worth trying as well is the omega-7. And maybe the, uh, the eye drops that say that she's taking are probably something like a hyaluronic eye drop. Um, if that's, and they're good to keep continue because, continuing on because the hyaluronic acid is what will be naturally in your tears to moisturize your eye. But if it's not a hyaluronic acid one, Dr. Vogel does a lovely dry eye um, eye drop. And while it doesn't necessarily solve the problem, it certainly takes care of the symptoms. And you'll get that in any health shop. It's the Dr. Vogel high strength eye drop. Yeah, because it's very annoying to have a dry eye. And then Manuka honey. So Manuka honey, always people are amazed at the cost of a Manuka honey, Patricia, when they go to a health shop. And that is because the Manuka honey in health shops will typically be properly certified from the Manuka air, you know, the Manuka bees in New Zealand. So you could pay up to 50 euros for a jar of Manuka honey. Um, and that wouldn't even necessarily be a very large jar. So if you see in a health shop a 5% Manuka honey, that would be a good one for kind of general health if you wanted to take something as a preventative every day. If you're looking for something that um, to help with a very bad cough or cold, you need to go for the 10% um, at least. So that's going to cost you at least 25, 26 quid for a very small jar. And then the top one that I have here is UMF 15 plus. And I think that one is a great one for wounds that um, are infected and won't heal. So you can pack it into the wound, um, you know, and, and use it as part of the dressing. And that's wonderful for wound healing. And again, that the small jar of that is about 50 quid. So it's very expensive. Local honey, I'm a great believer in. Um you know, the local honey, what you're looking for something is, is is one that hasn't been pasteurized because then you'll get all of the good bacteria that the, the bees put into it. And that's brilliant for the immune system. Um, and a local a local bee farmer as well, they won't generally feed their bees. Their bees will go off and feed out in the field Naturally, and on the brambles. Yeah. So you're getting all of the good, um, the good vitamins and minerals that come along with that. And I have a lovely, um, I have a lovely honey here in the shop that comes from... Um, 
from Ahrla, a local farmer in Ahrla, and again, it's not pasteurised, so it's it's it's. I I'm a great believer in that. It's much cheaper. Okay, uh, Mossy in West Cork says, um, "Hi, Annalise. Is it true that high blood pressure and type two diabetes can be reversed or prevented by dietary changes? I have both for a number of years, but my GP never mentioned that it is possible to reverse it. Uh, this is my favourite radio slot of the week. Thank you, Annalise. You're always oh. so informative." Says thanks, says Mossy. Thanks, thanks very much. Okay. Okay, reversal um, of diabetes yes. and high blood pressure through yes, dietary the, changes. The, you can, yes, for both. Not in every single person's case, but type 2 diabetes is generally you're still producing insulin, um, but you're just yourself for some reason are not picking up on the signal that insulin is supposed to do. What insulin does, it's kind of like a little lock and key. On our cells, we have these receptors that when insulin binds onto them, it opens up the cell and allows glucose to enter from the blood. So basically, if you don't get the glucose in, you're not your cells are not going to be getting energy. Um, so you'll feel tired. You'll have high sugar in the blood in your blood. So you'll end up having sugar and protein in your urine. You'll feel thirsty a lot because your blood will be quite, become quite viscous. And the long-term dangers of type two diabetes would be increased risk of heart disease, um, cataracts in your eyes. Um, in very bad cases, amputation is a risk factor as well due to damage of the tiny capillaries. So it is reversible. Um, one of the biggest factors in terms of type 2 diabetes is being overweight. So getting your weight down to a healthy size um, is the first step. So in, that, in terms of that, a good healthy diet where you're not starving yourself, but that is low in carbohydrates. So you want lots of vegetables, a couple of pieces of fruit a day, no more than two. Um, some a small portion at every meal of uh, a whole grain, and I mean a small portion. So, Patricia, that would be like a tablespoon of rice or a tablespoon of pasta, a small slice of bread. The, the lower-carb diets seem to work really, really well at reversing type 2 diabetes the quickest. So you'd have some nice lean protein in the form of fish, which would be great for your heart, or lean chicken, or lean beef a couple of times a week. And with that diet um, and a low-salt diet, you would be able to reverse type 2 diabetes in many cases and also high blood pressure. But the high blood pressure, I have to say, Patricia, would be more difficult. That tends to be um, less easy. Like It's not always related to weight or diet. It's not always about cutting out salt out of your diet for high blood pressure. A lot of the time it can be stress-related. Um, it can be hereditary. It can be, you know, it can be... Um, um, as a result of other medications. So it's not always possible to reverse that. But if you go online and Google the DASH diet, D-A-S-H, it's a very, very low salt diet. And if you follow that, you might be able to reverse it. Okay, Pat says it uh, has a fungal infection on the bottom of both feet. Any treatment suggestions? Yeah, the best thing I think for that, Patricia, is the grapefruit seed extract. So, um it comes from the grapefruit seed and it's a very, very powerful antifungal. So you can buy it in drops in the health stores and you can just dampen a piece of cotton wool and then put a few drops on and rub it around the area. But it's also great to do a foot soak um, a couple of times a week. So put the drops into some warm water and that'll get right in through the skin. But with fungal feet infection as well, you might want to look at... um, I'm not suggesting you throw out your whole collection of shoes, but you might want to look at possibly disinfecting shoes and boots and washing all of your socks on a very, very high hot wash because um, you can reinfect that way, you know. 
Uh, Margaret says, any advice for somebody losing their hair and ending up with bald patches? It seems to be an autoimmune uh, issue. Uh, The person's in their 30s. It's causing them great distress. They have round bald patches in various parts of their head. Anything that can be done? Yeah, it is very distressing, Patricia. And thinning hair, particularly for women, that doesn't grow back can be very distressing. It's a difficult one, I will be honest. Um, there is a supplement called Norcrin, N-O-U-R-K-R-I-N, that can help with getting hair follicles that have gone dormant and are no longer growing into getting them kick-started and growing again. So I have had good success with a lot of people and that it's probably better for thinning hair, but I've had people with alopecia where you get bald, round bald patches appearing on the scalp. Um, it can help with that. So I would suggest trying that but I think it's also very important to look at stress and diet uh, because, of course, always underlying with anything autoimmune. And you can do a huge amount to balance from internally as well. So take a look maybe at diet and lifestyle as well. OK, Mary in Mallow has high cholesterol. It's over 70. She's a non-drinker, over seven. She's a non-drinker, non-smoker, female in her 60s. She is after four antibiotics and steroids. She was on a statin, but she came off the statin because of taking the antibiotics. Any advice, please? Okay, so what we don't know there is the breakdown of the good and the bad cholesterol. So um, if your good cholesterol is high, typically you'll be healthier than somebody whose good cholesterol is low and their overall cholesterol is lower down. So um, that would be one thing that's important to tell. The first thing I suppose I'd suggest with her is maybe trying the plant sterols. Now, that's what you get in the floor proactives and benicols. But if you take it in a supplement form, you don't get any of the calories that you'd normally be getting in those little drinks that you possibly don't need. And you also get it in a high dose. You need at least 1.6 grams. So Xerocol is an Irish supplement. It's very, very good. And that can get your cholesterol down by between 10 and 17%. So it might bring her down enough, especially for the, her good cholesterol is high. I should also say, Patricia, that like cholesterol in women can often peak when you're unwell. Um, cholesterol is used to make an anti-inflammatory hormone. Um, it's, you know, we make our own hydrocortisone type hormones. So it can be elevated then if you're sick. It can also be elevated if you have thyroid issues. And it can also be ele- elevated during menopause because the, the cholesterol is a building block for lots of hormones that are involved with those glands. So it's not always unhealthy, you know, and it's not always requiring a statin. Now, just to finish off on that, if it doesn't work for that lady and she needs the statin, if it's a familial thing and she can't get it down with the exercise and the plant sterols, the red red rice yeast is an excellent one. And it works for most people who haven't had success with the plant sterols. It is in, in its chemical structure. It's exactly the same as the statin drug. But because it comes from a natural rather than a synthetic source, it seems to be a lot better tolerated. So I would have customers who can't take statins because they get terrible pains um, in muscles and legs, um, but they do very well on the cardio K. And it does the same job as the statin, so it will bring your cholesterol down. Well done. Hi, Annalise. Could you recommend, please, a good tonic for children and one teenager? They've uh, all had a very bad dose of flu over the last two weeks and kind of need a bit of a pick-me-up. Um, there's probably two things that I'd recommend, Patricia. One of them is um, by another Irish company, actually. It's a Revive Active, and there's one for teens and there's one for children. 
and it's got um, a nice dose of all your vitamins and minerals in there. But what I also like about it is that it's got beta-glucans in and um, a probiotic in there. So the beta-glucans we're starting to see an awful lot more about now. They're brilliant for supporting the immune system, um, the immune system to fight viruses and bacteria, but also the immune system to fight cancers. And they would typically have come from mushrooms, which is why mushrooms can be so medicinally wonderful. And they're used so much in Chinese medicine for that reason. So the, the Revive Active has got those beta-glucans in there and it comes in a sachet form and it's tasteless so you can hide it no problem in a, in a glass of juice or into a yogurt. And the second one that I think is a lovely one for kids is the, um, the Nature's Plus Animal Parade Gold Liquid. So it's like I often talk about the source of life gold. Mm. They do one for children as well. And again, it's in a liquid form. I think it's very well absorbed and utilised very quickly. So I think a month of that would be great for them too. And would that do the teenager as well? That, the teenager actually probably could take the, the adult of life. Yeah. Maybe half dose. Yeah. yeah. And Eileen and Conor Kilty as a student facing into the mock exams, as does a lot of households. Many of the mocks are starting this week and, and next week. Anything that Annalise could recommend to help them stay focused and study and concentrate to try to deal with the pressure? Any supplements, vitamins, any advice at all, please? Yeah, so uh, there is a couple that um, will work in the long term for retention of um, focus and retention and then a couple of short term. So the long term ones, again, we're back to the fish oils, Patricia. And actually, I would have a couple of customers whose kids would have had knocks from um, sports, you know, and might have had a slight concussion. And we put them straight away on high dose um, um, fish oils. And they, they, you know, they didn't get the, like a lot of them would have had been prior to that getting a bit forgetful or struggling a little bit in terms of focus in school. So I was very impressed by how the fish oils worked for for that reason. So I always think for studiers, definitely fish for the brain, do a high strength omega-3 fat until the exams are over and that will help with retention. And then in terms of immediate focus, there's a couple of lovely ones. L-theanine is a great one because it doesn't make you sleepy, but it's very calming and really focusing. And it's safe for children as well. I would have a lot of parents with kids that have ADHD, Patricia, and they find that the L-theanine is great to get them more settled in school, you know, where they tend to be a bit more fidgety and find it harder to concentrate. And it's safe for children in the lower doses. So you can get that. Um, And the other nice thing about it is that it kicks in in about 10, 15 minutes. So it's not something you need to take every day or have built up in your system. The kids could take it if they were sitting down to study and they wanted to be able to focus and concentrate a bit better. Um, And then a company called Higher Nature do a supplement that's called Balance for Nerves. And that's great because in there, they've got the L-theanine, they've got um, passion flower for calming, they've got all of your B vitamins and a bit of magnesium as well. And they're all fantastic vitamins to support stress okay. in general. So okay. they're great. We're over on time. The uh, supplement that you mentioned for the fungus was... It's grape- called Grapefruit Seed grape- Extract. Okay, thank you for that. We leave Thanks it there. Thanks Patricia. for that. That's Adelise Drissel, the health of Times Square in uh, Balancholic. Uh, talk to you tomorrow at 10 I'm Patricia Messenger. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.